0: Before we start with this episode, I want to take 20 seconds from your time. First of all, we changed our intro. Let us know what you think. And secondly, don't forget to follow us. It means a lot to us. And now, let's go to the episode. This is Tomorrow's Bite Podcast. The podcast where food is not a problem, but a solution for your business, career, or personal life. Stories that allow us all to get inspired,
1: gain knowledge, and grow to create a better Tomorrow today we talk about able to ask the right questions so that they come up with answers that otherwise they would not. And if you get a positive answer, then you know you're really on to something. That has always fascinated and excited me in every entrepreneurial journey that I've been on. I saw that in
0: 2010 you were the Dutch champion on the 4 times 400 meters. Do you think that these experiences as an athlete have influenced your approach to business and entrepreneurship?
1: Being able to put a step on the horizon and just bite into it—I could have aimed for the Olympics, but that—that's not the point. The point is,
2: it would be fair for the audience if you could share your your personal journey in the in the creation of companies and how that has been.
1: Love the question.
0: What key lessons should they keep in mind while building their ventures? or pursuing their career.
1: Very scary for people to ask themselves is, and then eventually one of them said like, well, why don't you come teach? I see quite often for people setting up a business in the food innovation industry particularly, how to come to understand product market fit.
2: Vas is by far one of the most inspirational people we will ever be able to bring here. It says something powerful that his students ask us after only one of his classes whether he can come to the podcast. His mission is to let you think for yourself and show you your blind spots or the ones of your business by asking the right questions. Serial entrepreneur and university professor teaching lessons of venture creation in the food industry, but most of the time serving companies with these questions to foster an environment where innovation and paths towards success are created.
0: Bas, welcome to our podcast. And first of all, I always wonder, like, Where do we actually start with you, Buzz? You've been in a lot of different places, work-wise, life-wise, that fascinates us. And uh, people describe you also as a supportive and inspirational person. Can you explain to our listeners who you are and what you are doing and what kind of mission you are on?
1: Well, thank you for having me. First and foremost, I'm excited to be in your podcast. I've heard a lot of good things about it and I was like really pleasantly surprised when you asked me. Yeah, maybe a little bit uh, about myself. At this moment in time, uh, right now, I am a course coordinator and therefore also teacher at a university's master's program, um, which you are very acquainted with. I, <laughs> I have, I've always been an entrepreneur, basically my whole adult life in a variety of forms. So I think that's definitely a part of my identity. Um, I think more on who I am, so to say my identity later in some later questions too, since I think they will uh, naturally flow from some of the questions, but maybe first a little bit about my mission, which if I really dissect it, if I really dissect my mission, mission, it is basically to, to make people a little more disagreeable. And what I mean by that, I really mean that in the positive sense of the word. I mean for people to think more for themselves, first and foremost, to be able to think for themselves. And whether that is in a traditional educational context, like a university or a high school, or whether that is for large corporations or startups, it's basically to show people a lot of blind spots that they have and to be able to articulate those blind spots and be able to not have the answers for people, but be able to ask the right questions so that they come up with answers that otherwise they would not. And that has always fascinated and excited me in every entrepreneurial journey that I've been on. And especially to do that in a way that you can help people create understanding and empathy, so to say, to make pragmatic solutions for everyday life
2: we are always curious about our guests uh, about their their youth and and their childhood because we always believe that part of who we are today is a lot of times has to do with some something happened uh, in in a previous part of our lives would you how would you uh, I guess the question would say there's any moment of your life that in some way has saved the person that you are now?
1: Ooh. Well, there has always been a couple of moments that I I guess define one's story that uh, in a nutshell suddenly you go like, oh, wow, this defined who I am as a person. I'm always very skeptical of the kind of validity almost of my uh, of my own story. Like, uh, one of the quotes I like quite a lot is like we we, we are the stories we make ourselves, uh, and like the we are defined by the stories in our head. Um, at least that's how we define ourselves quite often. And the beautiful thing is that those stories are malleable. You can you, you can decide which parts of your own story, so also your childhood, which parts to focus on and which parts to to to, to really voice first and foremost to yourself and then also to others and what I've noticed over the years is that the way that I define myself and feel like are moments that defined me that they have changed they've changed quite a bit I've had moments up until like Two, three, four, five years ago, which I really felt like defined me as a person. And only as soon as I slowly started reshaping the story of myself to me, those moments, the significance of them changed too. So I think the that that is the most powerful takeaway that i that that i would like to leave you with because yes i've had loving parents and i'm very grateful for the childhood that i that, that i've had and there were certainly some moments that uh, would have stood out and in all honesty the moments that have stood out have really significantly changed over the years and the ability to redefine my own story and significance of those moments in my life if anything, that's the thing that has really shaped me over the past few years. And can we maybe
0: dive into one of these
1: paths that you've been
0: or like as a, like you had an impressive track record as both a track and field athlete. <laughs> and I saw that in 2010, you were the Dutch champion on the four times 100 meters. Um, and I actually wonder, do, do you think that these experiences as an athlete have influenced your approach to business and entrepreneurship?
1: I love the question, and I, I like that you did your research. Um, well, <laughs> that's uh, that's actually really nice because this is one of those things that, uh, for quite a while, I have let it define me. Uh and like, well, I uh, I did really well in sports, and I I didn't just like it, but I really dug my heels into it, and. I believe that being an athlete had a defining impact on my mentality as an entrepreneur, too. And that's a story I told myself for a long time. Yet, when I really came to see what it was that made me a good athlete in the first place and made me, well, excel in a sense, it was more the characteristic of being able to put a step on the horizon and just bite into it and say like, you know what, this is where I'm going to go. This is what I want to achieve. And doesn't matter which hurdle I need to go over, which wall I need to break. I'm going to do everything in my capacity, everything which is in my power to try and go and achieve that. And I wanted at some point to really become Dutch champion. And ironically, as soon as I achieved that, I was like, well, that's great. I, I don't need to go to the Olympics. Like, I'm, uh, I'm good. That was my goal. I was happy with it. So I, uh, I, I basically quit after. And I'm to this day really happy that I quit. Uh, because it allowed me to free up time for a lot of different activities in my life which i have well really gratefully so uh have undertaken since and uh it was it was more goal setting itself that helped me uh, become good at track and field and that has also helped me in, t- in my entrepreneurial journeys
2: that is really nice story i, I really le- love to hear it and in some way I I I have a feeling that it's a really nice approach to 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 such an achievement or to such a, a challenge and, and a lot of people that talks about success a lot of times talks that you get something and once you got it it's like okay now I got it, now I have to move on. It's it's happening. It's also happening
0: a lot with professional athletes, right? When they have these gold medals, they become in a very deep like yeah, they, they achieve their biggest goal and then they have problems with finding their next goal or getting established what they really want.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, um, well, the, the the flip side of that is, right, like someone could tell me, well, probably you just didn't aim high enough, Bas, like you should have aimed for the Olympics and you would have kept going. And you know what? Maybe in a, in a way those people are right too. Right, it's not either or. There, they are right too. I could have aimed for the Olympics. I have no clue if that would have happened. Um, but that—that's not the point. The point is, uh, will it still bring me joy? And at that moment in time, after uh, that Dutch championship, I had—I had given myself the choice to—to uh, to let it define my life further and to keep going on this path. Or to say, no, this was, this was beautiful and I, I took everything from that that I wanted to take from it. And now I want to explore all of these other avenues in life that I think are really amazing too. And I'm grateful that I had that choice.
2: Yeah. Could you say who is somebody that has been an icon or a referent for you in your journey?
1: Ooh, I've quite a few people uh, that on and off have been an icon for me. Yeah, there is one person in particular. I think it's uh, it's always very tricky to have someone as a real, uh, tricky, not bad, by the way, but just tricky, to have someone as an icon who is alive. So uh, why? Because they have so many chances ahead of you to disappoint you. <laughs> and at this point they they likely will disappoint you as soon, especially if you have them as someone you revere, someone you look up to. Um, it's it, it is quite tricky for them to 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 not like to to to, to keep uh no well, keep on that uh, how do you say that uh on not on the pinnacle but like uh keep keep themselves on that step uh mm-hmm. higher up and. I I think the icon that has stuck with me for uh, for the longest time is then therefore of course someone who is dead and has been for quite a while for most of my life and that is Richard Feynman. Now Richard Feynman uh, was a physicist, a Nobel Prize-winning physicist. Um, he. He was not just a physicist who mostly did a lot with regards to uh, quantum mechanics. Uh, That's also where I I won the Nobel Prize for. without going into detail. Uh, Really interesting work, by the way, of him. But that's that's not why he is my icon. He is my icon because he was incredibly disagreeable. He basically just went against all odds and went, went against the, the status quo, in this case, the status quo with regards to uh, physics, but also the status quo in academia in which you were supposed to act in a certain way and supposed to be in a certain way. And uh, I don't want to curse on this, uh, on this podcast, but he basically just said, well, screw it, screw all that. Uh, I, I I'm I, I'm not here to uh, to adhere to someone else's guidelines I'm here to conduct the best work I possibly can and to ask the best questions I possibly can and do that in a way that I progress humanity in the way that I can do that to show basically to make the best of my skill set and he went to great lengths to stick to his skill set and also explore what is his skill set and how to make that shine. He did that in a magnificent way, but not just that, he was also able to then communicate himself in a way to people that he made incredibly complex topics understandable for everyone. Something like quantum mechanics. He was able to make it understandable for everyone. And in my humble opinion, a real expert is not someone who can um, use all of the most complicated words in their field of expertise, but someone who can explain it to not just a fellow expert, but also to a a university graduate, to a high school graduate, and also to a five-year-old. And Those are the real experts. If you can do that, then you are really on to something. And he was really able to do that. And that's something I I really admire. And uh, for anyone who is now like, oh, wow, that seems like an interesting man. um, There is a really cool book written about him, uh, which is literally called You Surely Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman um it's a fascinating book to read and it's a really nice summary of his life in uh, in one way or another so i um uh, yeah i definitely approve of that book
0: i it's a it is a great recommendation to to add on the list um like for going on on this is like uh explaining to the average in the most well understandable language as you said is calling yourself an expert um In your field, you also have founded multiple startups and as a mentor, as a lecturer, you also explain these lessons that you have learned along the way to aspiring new entrepreneurs or to to the students in general. What key lessons should they keep in mind while building their ventures or pursuing their career?
1: That's a great question. And... I'm, I'm trying to answer it from the perspective of lessons that I have been continuously trying to to, to give in a sense uh, to, to university students as well as like C-suite executives as uh, startups uh, and anyone in between. And it all comes down to, well, basically keeping your virtue. Something that is, Really often overlooked in the face of, for example, competition and uh, trying to best and one-up each other, is that eventually what not necessarily what gets you into places, although that too, but definitely what what keeps you into places and what makes you feel good towards yourself, which is the basis for doing good for others. Is to keep your virtue. And by virtue, I mean like simple things like honesty, courage, kindness, humility, patience, respect, generosity, gratitude, perseverance, integrity, responsibility, forgiveness, and even like things like hope or, or faith and it's it's really easy to to talk about virtue and that's not what i want to what i want to do i think that's that that's in many regards quite often quite pointless um it's more to to make people ask themselves am i being the best version of myself that i can possibly be right now and that is too generic of a question to be meaningful to people. So in order to make, make that question tangible of can I be the best version of myself right now, you you have to make things slightly more tangible and basically layer that question down until eventually it's not me who is uh, talking about virtue, but the people I ask the questions. And why I talk about it now is because that is just intriguing. That every time when we dive into the why of the why of the why, so to say, um I I notice that people come back towards these well simple virtues, so to say, those those common things that we all think are pointing towards goodness, and that 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 is the basis. The the that that is the that that is layer zero of of any type of advice you can give anyone because everything that comes on top of that um is is therefore secondary if you if you give people very niche advice on leadership or on like how to pitch or how to treat your competition how to put yourself into the market um all of that is secondary to are you doing that in a way that you are being honest towards yourself about the way you're doing that? Um, are you doing that from a place of courage? And maybe to, to top that off, uh, so to say, are you doing it with agency? Do you, are you trying to become a person, a leader, a manager, an employee, a husband, a wife? Doesn't matter who. Like, well, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to do that with agency? And, and what I mean by agency is basically are you are you not adopting a victim mindset are you are you putting so to say i hope this is actually an actual saying are you putting your hands in your own pockets like uh, it, it, are you uh, are you looking at yourself what can i do to become better what can I do to improve the situation? And what can I do to get myself out of this? What can I do to learn from this? What can I do? And people with an increased sense of agency, I continuously see pulling ahead in life, whether that is business or whether there's an impersonal level. Um, it's developing that sense of agency for oneself.
0: But then... Um- I made it. I I also know that a lot of people they uh, if they like, for instance, if they find this out and they have to change something in their life, right, to follow their own path. Uh, but changing someone's own life or your own life is one of the hardest things. And for a lot of people, they have to face a really big, yeah, issue. Uh, or like they are struggling so hard that. They can only imagine that the change will bring them the happiness in the end, or a happier life, or better. Uh, yeah, I mean, just better life in the end. Um, so, what is then a practical path that they can um, they can adopt to their to their life to actually maybe not f- uh, face that big problem, but maybe tackle it, like prevent it before it actually happens
1: if or when people are having a hard time with life. And I mean this, uh, and this is an important caveat, I, I mean this beyond the basic human needs of shelter, food, water, um, like be- being able to survive, where I'm talking about thriving in life. Be- beyond the ability to survive, I think it really comes down to without repeating myself to to their ability to ask themselves the hard questions and so sometimes people simply cannot see beyond a a life that they have right now like they're on a personal level you're incredibly happy in your relationship uh but you also have like four kids and you cannot imagine that you are possibly gonna divorce um so that's not even a question that you ask yourself it's simply not there um the same for a business, like you have an incredible amount of debt uh, because you uh, you did a big funding round and you had some loans, but the business doesn't go as well as you possibly thought it would in in, in the first few years. Um, so now suddenly all you can say is, how, how am I going to make this work? Um, how, how am I going to pay off this debt? Uh, a, re- a really simple, uh, maybe a little too simple, but the simple quote that I like is like, hard choices easy life and easy choices hard life like the 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 heart the hard choice in the is in the long in the long run is quite often what is easy right now so for things to be to be to be tangible and manageable for people to for, for anyone really to get out of a hard situation sadly but truly always comes down to first looking to yourself to turn inwards to hope hoping to find the solutions out there and like oh maybe maybe if i just listen to this one podcast or maybe if i just have one more conversation with this person or maybe if i win the lottery or maybe no no that's, that's not how you're gonna really fundamentally get out of your hard situation. You have to look inwards and ask yourself the questions of how do I got here? How did I get there in the first place? Um, where do I want to be? In which way do I want to achieve what I want to do with life? Um, what are my core values? And like, how am I, what are the choices that I have? that i can imagine right now and if none of those choices seem remotely possible um, then go ask other people to help you see other opportunities and help you see other ways of solving your problem and instead of ch- asking other people for a solution just helping you see other opportunities um that's That's how I would always go about it for anyone. And every time in the past, whether that was as a coach, as a mentor, whether that was for a business or in in personal relationships, when, when someone came to me and asked me for a solution, I don't think I've ever given them a solution. All I all I ever did is ask them the right question. And the solution always, therefore, comes from within. It comes from the person themselves. If you give someone a solution to their problems, it won't be their solution. Um, so you have to be able to ask the right questions to that person.
2: Give one man a fish and he will eat one day. Teach a man to fish, he will eat the rest of his life, no? they say. That's what they uh, say. Yeah, uh, a famous saying. I believe that something that could be uh, fair or just for the for for the audience is that uh, we Shaco uh, and I we know you very well, but but to be fair, the audience uh, quite m- might be quite new to who you are in the sense that uh, this guy speaks uh, marvelous, but a lot of times it seems like you have to prove. No, like, but what has the, this guy done? So I think it would be fair for the audience if you could share more or less like a little uh, your your personal journey
1: in the exp- in the creation of companies and how that has been. Uh, sure, I'm happy to. I'm happy to. Um, yet with a big caveat, I, I, I don't believe that it has to be exemplified with with the things that someone did to in order for their words to have value um when when someone speaks common sense to you, and someone with uh, three doctorates uh, and uh, and and a wealth of knowledge uh, speaks uh, speaks to you in a way for something that's wrong uh, and doesn't make sense, um, then listen to the person who makes sense, right? Um, so I, I I think it's secondary. Now, with that important caveat, I'm happy to share. So i I came out of university, actually not even out of university and i I had a lot of ideas to set up businesses and I uh, I did so immediately. First, I created a company in which I created an algorithm to combine the perfect combination of plants inside every room and building to han- enhance the atmosphere in a way that you needed fewer air ventilation systems and alleviated some uh, symptoms of respiratory diseases like asthma. Um, it was beautiful to not just build that company, but also to uh, to, to make it. Um, I uh, had a company in the decentralized finance sector in which I employed uh, a few people, uh, set it up uh, together with another co-investor. So in a very, very different um, industry industry. I, at some point when I came back from Australia, where I, uh, well, mostly functioned as a strategic designer and uh, innovation strategist and consultant for mostly like the 20 biggest corporations in Australia, uh, in banking, insurance, tech, um, you name it. I I came back eventually to the Netherlands because I felt that my my heart was in Europe, uh, and uh, I decided to uh, to found a knowledge center in the Netherlands, which uh, I called Genneskapel, uh, Chapel of Knowledge. Um, I I felt that I should do something where I was close to dear friends and family. And hence, I set it up in the south of the Netherlands. A beautiful, beautiful building, this church, in which I uh, renovated it uh, myself with a lot of help uh, from uh, from my dad, which I was very grateful for. Uh, he's a he's a builder, so he he knew how to uh, renovate buildings, and. I eventually when it was done uh, my goal was to uh, invite clients from all over the world mainly Australia at the time uh, to to be there but also new clients uh, from here in the Netherlands uh, whether that was Rijkswaterstaat uh, or or ING or uh, or Waterschap Limburg more local in in Limburg area um, a variety of businesses to come there and be inspired, and have these inspirational sessions in which I would have one think differently. Um, and on top of that, to also invite students uh, to come and uh, and study there and uh, and be inspired too, away from the university. Uh, and uh, did that too. It was a magnificent building with like six by four meter whiteboards and a beautiful projection wall and just uh, all around beautiful. Um, Really excited to do that and I uh, I wanted to do that with, and basically all of those businesses, I all wanted to do them with one thing at heart, and that is what can I do with my skill set uh, in the position I find myself in now with the resources I have at my disposal, uh, with the time I have on my hands now to make the world a better place. And I... I I like to be able to question people and uh, a nice side effect quite often of questioning people, including myself, um, is if you do that with with compassion and empathy uh, and you articulate yourself in a proper manner, then it tends to be inspirational too. And that's a really nice side effect that, um, that I get as feedback from, from students, but also from other types of clients. And these inspirational sessions is uh, what I have uh, given for quite a few years uh, with uh, a lot of joy. And uh, I build a company around it too. Um, those are some of the businesses in a nutshell. As to some of the things you were searching for, Andres.
2: Yes, there's
0: more than enough for us, as always yeah and besides creating your your the companies and uh, helping other companies with their strategies is also you wrote your own book it's called the book of the facilitator and i am wondering if why you also wanted to write a book because it takes a huge amount of time and effort but besides that if you will break down this book into five main topics or step how would you describe them and what are the me- the main steps in the book to take uh, towards success in the end.
1: Right on. Um, so first and foremost, like when I, um, when I came back from my time in Australia uh, and decided to settle in the Netherlands, I, I I wanted to consolidate a lot of the work that I did uh, for uh, for a variety of clients uh, in in Australia and I found it fair to to do that in a way that they had some material to go on themselves and to also educate people internally in their own businesses um to to do some of the work that I had done with them and that's how I came to uh, make the facilitator uh, with like basically the subtitle being uh, out to like um, optimize your chances of success for novel projects, whether that is a, a a startup or an internal startup, so to say. So an internal project that is uh, at least sem- somewhat uh, self-sufficient within a, a larger corporation. And um I I just decided that that is something that felt fair to do, that was w- within my capacity now. I had something useful to say. I was able to articulate it. And it felt like this was uh, the right thing to do also towards my clients and uh, potentially also towards other clients in the future. And it turns out also to students uh, where I used to book for now too. So that's what I decided, decided to do. And... Uh, it's a very pragmatic guide in which they have a book as well as a workbook. And if I had to classify it into five main topics, um, it's basically like the the first part of the book being the setup for success, which is the key factors that you just need in a novel project, like which is the baseline uh, from from which you go on in actually building a new product or service. Then there is a part about customer discovery, uh, how to understand people. Again, ask the right questions, in this case, towards your customer and or user, um, in which you really get to understand their needs and wants uh, instead of just superficially. Um, Three would be to develop the opportunity. So when you have a really deep sense of what people truly desire, to then go and how to go about developing your opportunity. So developing what other people would say, I guess, the solution. Um, which resources do you need, the way you use them, what is your time frame, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also more of the tangible aspects of building your solution. Um then validating your solution so when and how do you validate uh a, a, like your well not even your mvp your minimum viable product but your working prototype like how go you do you go towards these pivots and these cycles of building measuring and learning whatever you have um that would be four and then five how to how to come to understand product market fit so how to uh, really know that you don't just have a great idea, which is desirable and likely feasible, but that it's truly also viable uh, and uh, really in demand by the, the niche uh, or bigger market that you have your sights on. Um, and maybe maybe as a bonus, uh, sixth one, the book also goes into a little more detail on how to then become truly investment ready. Um, those are those are the five plus one topics. I
2: think. Another thing looking into your professional career and the companies that you've initiated and taking into account like, the kind of podcast we are in is that we can appreciate that you initially do not have any relationship with the food innovation world. However, you end up being a professor in the Health Food Innovation Management Master's of a master's program of Maastricht University. How did this happen?
1: Alright, I want to tackle that question from two perspectives. So one is like just very pragmatically how did that happen and uh, I I one day just when I got back to the Netherlands, I sat down in a cafe somewhere and I heard some students um, speaking, I don't even remember the exact conversation they were having, but it's something sparked my interest. And I was like, hey, I think I have something useful to say in your discussion. Uh, and I just started speaking with those students. Um, I didn't know by then they were students. Um, I didn't have any intention other than I'm curious about your conversation. And I think it's interesting. And may I participate? And uh, they were excited for me to participate. And uh, during the conversation, I found out there were students Um And they got curious about who I was, what I did, and uh, how I knew so much about the topic that they were talking about. Um, And then eventually one of them said, like, well, why don't you come teach? Uh, And I was like, well, teaching has always been part of my life. I kind of promised myself when I was 18 to always uh, keep teaching at least part uh, of the year, um, and now that I was back in the Netherlands, I was like, "Well, if you just introduce me to uh, to your university, to your uh, either like um, program coordinator or anyone else uh, who, who goes uh, well, uh, who I should speak to, then I'll consider it." And a few weeks went by, and at some point, just the masters coordinator called me and said, "Like, okay, I kind of heard that I need to speak to you." So uh, that's that, that's the nutshell story of how uh, how that came about. I wasn't really searching for it; it found me. Um, that's the nutshell from that perspective. Now, I I ha- don't have a official professional background in health and food innovation. No, I didn't do a bachelor's or master's degree or PhD specifically in this area. Um yet I have listened to every single Peter Attia like The Drive from Peter Attia, one of the if you ask me in my humble opinion, one of the one of the best very in-depth niche podcasts on health longevity and food um, that is out there i've listened to every single episode if i didn't understand the concept of the river single word i would look it up if there were studies in the footnotes i would go and read every single study i think i've read more papers on Every type of niche <laughs> um, subcategory and in industry within uh, within this um, well within within the topic of health food and longevity than most students ever will. Um, this has been such an incredible passion of mine and a ridiculous amount of time uh, of my own personal time and effort uh, simply goes into researching topics regarding food health and longevity Um, so I'm definitely a health food longevity geek um, optimizing for health span myself Um, there is a crazy amount of different diets I've tried I I take blood samples at least twice a year Um, I do my own fun research, um, I, I continuously emerge myself uh, in anything to do uh, with new things regarding nutrition, food, and health uh, that I think I should be on top of in order to have the largest amount of healthy years in my life that I possibly can. So uh, I have an incredible amount of affinity with the topic. Uh, and uh learned more from uh especially this uh this podcast, but of course I dive into the rabbit hole and then you have other things, and one of that is podcasts or books or scientific articles that are continuously linked to um that I just completely go into depth and research so uh i I consider myself definitely very capable, if not uh officially academically schooled in the topic very capable.
0: And in your course, the key assignment is to develop a business well a business plan for a startup in the food industry and after seeing so many different groups um doing this exercise, did you identify problems that are common or even exclusive when starting a food innovation
1: startup? Your question is specifically to 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 food innovation startups right correct yes i I noticed that Quite often, uh, a, a question that is very scary for people to ask themselves um, is <laughs> to start with a basic one um, what is healthy? Um, in, uh, w- 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 which foods are healthy in which quantities, in which way, for everyone? Why, when, how? Um, they're, they're more often than not is no absolute consensus on what is healthy and in which quantities like it's a very very hard question to answer and what i see quite often for people setting up a business in the food innovation industry particularly is that um there the question of whether that it the, what they are building is either healthy and or sustainable for everything and every situation and for everyone is not a question that they're necessarily quite often willing to ask themselves in depth and in detail. And that is, that that is a necessary question to ask if not for your own virtue, then simply to really deeply understand your target market and deeply understanding your target market. You to do that, you really need to ask those very hard questions, um, which no one really has an absolute answer to, but you need to ask them nonetheless. So I, I think that is that is definitely a key one that I consistently see coming back. There's anything that professionals in
2: the food and health uh, environment, to call them some way, shall learn from a students in your point of view? Or something, could learn,
1: maybe not so. Something that professionals in the food and health sector could learn from students?
2: Yeah, according to what you have seen,
1: the ideas or, 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 or the ambition. Well, what I, what I notice is that most students develop concepts more quickly And as soon as you go into your, so to say, professional life, wherever that is, it seems like things slow down in terms of building your business. Um, It seems like more things are important than truly are important. Sometimes you need to just do and fail and then do again and get up. and. As you move on with life, it for uh, quite a few people seems to be, seems to feel like the stakes are getting higher. So, oh my goodness, I'd better not fail this time around because now the stakes are truly high. Whereas in reality, just fail really quickly, stand up and start again. And the the starting again part and the conviction that you can start again part um i see that often fade in uh, at least a little bit in uh, in professionals um more so than i see in students and uh, to to keep that mindset and be reminded of that mindset and not come up with excuses ah well you're a student so you can well i'm later on in life so i cannot and um, There are some of the most mind-boggling entrepreneurs that have set up their business when they were 50, and that was finally when they succeeded with their business. And they failed a lot of times, of course, before that, Um, but that's when they succeeded. And there's this mentality of, hey, I can start again. Um, I can do this again, and I can get up. That um, I I see it more alive quite often in students than in uh, young professionals
0: and developing an innovative mindset is also crucial for success in today's competitive landscape how do you encourage individuals and organizations to embrace a culture of experimentation and like out of the box thinking also by guiding the innovative process in organizations to ensure that the ideas actually align with the company's vision
1: the the key is to Deeply listen and let, let me explain that. When I go and, for example, get hired by an organization, a company, and to, to, to facilitate a session either to inspire them or to get people aligned on the same page or to understand what they are really trying to solve for, understand, understand their problem um all of the above the the key is to deeply listen and what i mean by that is to not just listen what people are saying the actual words they are saying which are important too but listen to their intonation their frustrations their um their body language and also be aware of some of the things that they are simply not able to voice the the old saying an example uh goes when you asked people now over a hundred years ago um what they wanted uh when Henry Ford would have asked they would everyone set faster horses and no one no one tells you that they want a car with a combustion engine to propel them forward from now on and um, that's simply not the answer that you get in so to deeply listen is when people say, I want faster horses. They want a more efficient way to commute from point A to B. That's what they're truly saying. And that's when you're deeply listening. And then articulate that back to them and ask if you indeed indeed are right on their conception of what they, what they actually said, what they tried to say. And if you get a positive answer, then you know you're really on to something and only as soon as people in an organization feel that you deeply listen really anyone when when you when they feel like you deeply listen then people are willing to listen to you too and uh, and take uh, take suggestions and deeply think about questions and when they feel you're not being partisan uh, when you're not listening more so to one person than to other, but also really deeply so to them and have their best interests at heart for everyone. Then you really come to remarkable progress in any type of meeting or session you have. But only then. I think that's that's a key differentiator. And one of the hardest things to do properly um, but if you can do that, then you truly make remarkable progress in any type of session or meeting.
2: By being a professor, uh, that means that in some way you are also a victim of the educational system. Like a lot of times, we refer as victims of the educational system only to the to the students, which is more than fair because they are gonna be the ones who suffering the most. But but professors, teachers, they are also victims in 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 sometimes the ways and 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 what is expected, I think it would not be a good idea to ask you what needs to be improved because then this discussion would be definitely too long, but maybe it's fair that I ask you
1: what do you believe that is a first step that needs to be taken oh absolutely well yeah, I could definitely do an entire podcast simply just on this topic. Uh, no problem, no preparation needed. Um, but like le- let me let me get to the essence. And the essence I observe is that most of our educational system is is geared to making people reproduce information and gather information outside of themselves and put that either in presentation in in words in, in a, on paper um but the point being that our entire system is geared towards getting things outside and like putting them inside of your head and being able to reproduce that in a hopefully meaningful way that's what we're geared towards and there is definitely merit to that, right? Absolutely. No question about it. Yet, way too little of our educational system is focused on making people question themselves and produce information themselves to be the source, become the source. And do that not with just an opinion, but with Proper argumentation in a way that they are open to question themselves, that they are willing to doubt themselves, and still, whilst they are willing to doubt themselves, come up with something in a relatively with, with relatively um, convince, in a relatively convincing manner, and that's something that is not really asked of anyone in our educational system, but which is one of the most important life skills. You need to be able to question yourself. Like the question of who am I, like to to, to be very stereotypical, that's not one that is central in, in our educational system. No, just like gear you up so that you uh, are like a functioning human in the sense of being able to be productive part of our economy. Um, but... That's not what defines your value. Our, our value is not the piece of paper that you have at the end of high school, your bachelor's, your master's, or even beyond. That's not your value. Your value as a human being goes beyond that. And we get back to virtue, for example, there. Um, we don't have an emphasis on your value as a person and how to develop that and how to find yourself. There is no emphasis on that at all. And I I noticed that there is a lot of people coming out of, especially university, but of course also before that, um, and didn't develop a, develop a deep sense of purpose or a deep sense of self. They don't really know what truly grinds their gears, what truly excites them, something that they can be compassionate about. And I'm not one to say for quote-unquote finding your passion as if there is one passion. Um, it's not about finding your passion. It's not even about about developing your passion. It's developing the capacity to continuously become passionate about things that you come across in your life. And that capacity is not truly developed, I notice. And to give a really tangible example, even simply in the, the, the course that I'm teaching currently too, when I ask of students to put their themselves and their articulated opinion as if they are a subject matter expert on paper and submit that, submit themselves a piece of themselves something they thought of some original idea that truly came out of their head to put that on paper and get graded for that it scares the shit out of people not out of everyone but out of a remarkable percentage of people it scares the shit out of it's not something that people are truly used to, but it's one of the most important skills, whether that is in your professional or your personal life, to truly develop. And there is no emphasis on that at all. Yeah,
0: yeah, you hit it right on the spot. Um, to move on to the last part, like we we can endlessly go on in this discussion about a lot of things. We also have to skip about being how entrepreneur part, but. To address one thing, you 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 mentioned, um, and we are still having a full podcast. Um, you go, you dived into niche markets in uh, health, what is now health food products, longevity, all these kind of topics. And I'm wondering, what kind of trends and developments that you see in the field of food innovation particularly excite excites you?
1: Um. That one is relatively easy for me to answer, uh, funnily enough, uh, since there's one clearly on top of mind, and it's kind of a an interplay of one meta um, development and one particular development, which is first a particular development to the food industry being personalized nutrition. Um, and I mean that in the sense that uh, the world is waking up to the fact that uh, Food science, particularly, um, is is very different from physics and uh, and like or like to get more close to the source. Uh, to to very different from chemistry. It's one thing to know the chemical composition of uh of the foods you are eating, and it's a completely different thing to understand the effects. Of those on different types of people and the nutrition science in the in the more chemical uh, uh, um, well uh, expression of the word um, is more of an exact science more so uh, than food science and we have been treating food science as if it's a derivative of the exact science of nutrition and we are waking up that that's not necessarily the case that that it's a statistical science and that, uh, that that everyone is an outlier somewhere and that that in order to be truly effective on a personal level um that you need personalized nutrition and there is uh, some really cool examples of personalized nutrition out there um but particularly what i would like to um the perspective i would like to take on this is from a meta-development of uh, of artificial intelligence, which is uh, all hot uh, right now. Um, what I see is uh, with the development of personalized AI, uh, an AI which takes your own data and your unique perspective and your preferences, your lifestyle, your goals into consideration, um, it can do so in a way that the personalized nutritional plan and advice that I get from chat 4 um is better than what I've gotten from any dietitian I've had in the past um and that is truly remarkable and the, this development is only going to continue like when you have a personalized uh, uh well Art of AI assistant, um, which can um, not replace um, your doctor, um, but uh, be quote unquote really the assistant to uh, to to whether that is your dietitian or your doctor, and uh, give a, an additional opinion to then do things in consult with uh, and get um, more into detail about what is truly good for you for your personalized situation. I think. That that was simply not feasible um, until very recently, because no dietitian or and or no doctor can go into so much depth and detail with you in such short amount of time. And now suddenly, the granularity of information about a person and a person's diet, specifically, um, that you can. That you can muster up in a sh- very short period of time has immensely increased, and I think over the past co- uh, over the next couple of years we will see a, a remarkable development of uh, of businesses and also personal coaches and also dietitians, for example, um, to really make effective use of this new technology to make it not just desirable. Um, but also feasible and even viable for a lot of uh, different developments in personalized nutrition to really come to fruition.
2: Wow, this <laughs> is really exciting! What you are really putting into here uh, is this. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I am I am the first one as, uh, like waiting to see what will come from from the whole uh, personalized uh, nutrition plus AI. It's true that right now the the way that personal transition is is planned is, I don't think, is is the approach that shall be but maybe more what you're mentioning is uh, if it's well used, then could be a really interesting uh, effect that it could have into the future. It's a tradition in this podcast, Bass, that the previous guest leaves a question for the next guest and our previous guest uh, is a Food historian and also she has her own uh, podcast and so she developed uh, a framework called the food futurist model where you can practically put any person that is a food innovator in this framework as if it was a personality uh, test no like she has like four personalities you're not a food innovator yourself but you are teaching a lot of them uh, so uh, putting, for example, uh, the case of this year's course, I'm going to tell you the four personalities. And would you be able to say if there's any of them that it seems to be more predominant or if it's just a big mixture of any of them? And if yourself, you say like, oh, uh, you want to do the game of trying to see in which one uh, do you fit better or which combination it could describe you more. You can also do so, but the personalities are the technocrat. That is the one who believes that science will be the one, uh, will be the, the one solution for food always. Okay. So we have the technocrat, we have the egalitarian that is really focused on that. The solution of the food system is that everybody, uh, has the same conditions and everybody has the same access, not like equal uh, equality. We have the modern Malthusian, that is the one who believes that the uh, solution of the system, it's in in using the most and the best that we can, the resources that we have. And finally, we have the ecologist, that is the one who believes that actually the future of food can be solved by having a more... Not traditional, but m- m- less sciencey, more uh, looking for what was done before, uh, m- more old-fashioned, in order to restore the uh, yeah the status quo, not the status quo, no, to restore the ways uh, the things were done before, in order to re- to, to uh, uh, improve the health of the planet, let's put it, and also the health of the people. Therefore,
1: right on. And the the question is who I see in in this masters is more predominant or prevalent?
2: Yeah, um, you can do like uh, if you want percentages or something like like uh, we have sixty percent technocrats to twenty two percent egalitarians. Uh, but yeah, which one is the most dominant?
1: Um, I notice a. A combination of option one and four, so the technocrat and the ecologist and uh, a, a variety of people who uh, seem to feel and understand that that we continuously have to make sure that we get back to the roots um, of uh, of what food not just is right now, but also used to be. Um, and the understanding that we evolved to eat certain things in a certain way. Um, and then there is also the technocrat who really, uh, so to say, sees the increasing complexity and how we basically also innovate our way uh, out of, uh, well, modern diseases, for example, and how to do that from the perspective of food. Um, and I think there is um, there is an immense amount amount of wisdom in both and the combination of both um and yeah th- th- those are the those are the two that I observe most often
0: um boss we always ask our guests the following question what is your favorite food product or dish
1: Ooh, um well I think i'm i'm doubting between between two right now there the two I'm, may, may i just give two <laughs> no, no, no. go ahead <laughs> but, uh the I the, the, the ones i'm doubting about is yeah
0: actually you need to choose one right
2: andres
1: <laughs> Ooh, well I, I i will choose one that will be the uh, idea, but
2: okay, okay. I mean, to be fair, there is people that answers cuisines, uh, directly, like directly whole cuisine. So, 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 I mean, I, I wouldn't be bothered if, if Buzz chooses two. but for the sake of the question is more interesting to, to say one. Anyway, for the sake of knowing our guests, knowing the both of them is. Also interesting.
1: Well, uh, the 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 most oh, the overarching favorite uh, product, and I don't go for cuisines. I uh, I'm one that goes for uh for, well to the root. Uh, overarching, I would say the egg, and the egg uh one because it's uh the the most bioavailable uh. Like the best bioavailable option for your protein intake, uh, also suitable for vegetarians. Um, but it's also incredibly versatile in the way you can make it, whether that is a poached egg, a cooked egg, the omelette, like, um, the way in the variety, whether some people use it for breakfast and other use it for dinner or for lunch. Um, it is just a marvelous. Marvelous invention of nature of which I am, it always boggles my mind, my mind, how, how on earth we came into a planet in which we have eggs that we can readily eat and are produced quite often on a daily basis by hens, And it's just, it's marvelous. I, I find the egg fascinating also from a food historical perspective. Um, or even not not just from a food historical perspective, also the amount of analogies that are in whether that is um, modern um, modern culture or like history or just throughout history um, of the egg, um, whether that is the chicken or the egg or the egg of Columbus or like you you name it. Um, I think the egg has had such an important role in. All cultures, uh, like almost all cultures, not all, almost all cultures um, in most modern societies and also a, few, a, a lot of societies uh, throughout history, um, that I, I, I am continuously astonished uh, by, by, by its versatility and its usage. And from that perspective, I, I, I deeply admire eggs.
0: Wow, wow, wow. i think this is uh well this kind of answer we never had it was always like i like it because it tastes good (laughs) this dish or this product beautiful bus and and um we want to thank you for for your time like it's truly in yeah grateful that we had you as a lecture like like teaching us all kind of like models in like knowledge to share you're such an inspiring person you're so so inspiring that even you 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 just started two weeks three weeks ago with the uh, the course and after the first lesson students came to us like we have we had contact them with them for the podcast that they already said like after the first lesson are you also gonna plan to have boss on the podcast and if you already can give that away in your first lesson was that let's say's enough right. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for the inspir- inspiring stories, your knowledge that you share with us to to use in our daily life for following a business to actually
1: the path of success for us all. Um, that's it. Thank you. I really appreciated you having me on, Shaco uh, and Andres. Really, really appreciated it. It was my pleasure.